1: Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scullin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Uh, On the line with us is Mark Silverthorne. He's a nationally recognized expert on the Canadian collection industry. He spent 12 years as a collection lawyer working for some of the country's largest collection agencies and at one point was sending out more collection letters than any other lawyer in this country. I had to laugh, Mark, when I read that. (sighs) Um, he, it was interesting too, reading about your epiphany that you had after, uh, after which you decided to represent consumers struggling with debt. And back in 2010, Mark wrote a book called "The Wolf at the Door." What to Do When Collection Agencies Come Calling. And then in October of 2019, he retired from the practice of law. Passion for helping Canadians with debt problems continued. And on March 1st of this year, he launched Debt Coach Silverthorne, an online consulting firm aimed at empowering Canadians struggling with debt. Uh, That was so interesting to read, Mark, and I'm so looking forward to this segment with you. Uh, So welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome.
2: It's wonderful to be here. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, As as Elaine said, I'm really excited to have you as a guest today on on the program. Um, And I'm really excited because I know you've been doing a lot of work on financial education lately and putting together uh, some pretty detailed YouTube videos, uh, really aiming to shed some light on, I think, some parts of the industry where it's maybe not as well understood as it should be, you know, what the players are doing, how it all structures and what's in the best interest of consumers. So I saw your most recent YouTube video with the pretty provocative title is Credit Counseling for Suckers, Um, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, So I wanted to start off with a bit of the definition. So what do you mean when you talk about credit counseling? You know, what types of organizations provide the services, and what services do they actually provide?
0: Well, uh, credit counseling is one debt relief option that is available to Canadian consumers, and essentially... What happens is when a person signs up for credit counseling, they are going to repay 100% of their current outstanding principal and interest owing to some of their creditors, plus they are going to pay a fee to the credit counseling agency, and they're going to be making monthly payments over a period of five years. There are two different... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Yep. Well, there are two different uh, entities that offer credit counseling. There's one group that are non-profit, and there's another group that are, I guess you would call them independent or for-profit. I guess from the perspective of the consumer, it doesn't really matter which of these entities that you sign up for credit counseling, you're, you're essentially getting the same service. So an indebted consumer
2: would go to see a credit counselor, they'd say, I've got all this debt on a bunch of different credit cards, due to loans, income taxes, whatever. The credit counselor uh, would try to work out a plan where they pay everything off. They hopefully get a break on the interest and all that has to happen inside of five years. Is that a fair summary of how a credit counseling plan would work?
0: Well, one of, one of the issues with credit counseling is what debts are available to be put into a credit counseling plan. Number one, uh, there's no obligation on the part of creditors to agree to have one of their debts included in an individual's credit counseling plan. And so there are organizations like uh, finance companies that routinely refuse to have their debts included in a consumer's credit counseling plan. And then there's there's certain categories of debt that are not permitted to be included in a credit counseling plan and that would include monies owing to the government so income tax student loans and also secured debt so that more you know if you owe money on your mortgage or if you if you know you've you've got a secured car loan then those debts cannot be included in your credit counseling plan Right. So in, in the example I
2: was, I was given there, the credit counselor would say, you know, yeah, I can help you with the credit cards, you know, let's, let's see if we can do an interest freeze on that. So the student loans, the income taxes, that's just going to have to continue to get paid is what it sounds like, right? Correct. Okay. And then, Mark, in your video, um, you said, you know, at your recent YouTube video, credit counseling can be the most expensive way to eliminate your debt. And I imagine that would surprise some listeners because most of the time when you hear about credit counseling, it's, hey, you're in a tough spot. Um, you know, this is going to be the best way for you to get out of debt. It's going to save you a bunch of money. Your contention is that it's well, actually one of the more, more expensive ways. And you've said there's five buckets that your payments can fall into inside a credit counseling plan. Can you take me through that, how the payments work and why you think this is is the most expensive way to eliminate debt?
0: Right. Well, let's start with the five buckets. So bucket number one is you're paying 100% of the principal and interest that you owe to your creditors on the date of your enrollment into credit counseling. The second bucket is the fees that are paid to the credit counseling agency. Now, I live in Ontario and under Ontario law, a credit counseling agency is entitled to charge an an additional 15% of whatever debt is included in a debt settlement plan as administrative fees. Mm -hmm. Number three, it is possible that some interest that is accruing on some of the debt that's included in the debt in the credit counseling plan uh, so what credit counseling uh, agencies do is they negotiate with a person's creditors to get interest forgiveness during the life of the credit counseling plan, but they can't, uh, they can't guarantee that. So a person who signs up for credit counseling may be paying some interest during the life of their plan. So the credit so the, counselor has to go kind of case by case with each of the debts and say, "Hey, will you agree to an
2: interest freeze?" And some just might not, and then the the individual might still be stuck
0: paying the interest on that debt. That's correct, right? Okay, correct. Now, payment. Uh, bucket number four. You are not going to be able to include all of your debts in your credit counseling plan. So any creditor who says no 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 you can't include that and your bank may say you can't include that debt in your credit counseling plan because we want you to borrow the money or, you know we want you've got equity in your home we want you to we want you to borrow the money and pay the debt or the finance company may say we're not going to allow you to include that debt in the plan or there's certain categories of debt like secured debt or money's owing to the government that you cannot include in a credit counseling plan. And finally, if you've been sued or if your wages are being garnished, then you know um, doing credit counseling is going to be of no benefit to you. You know, in contrast, if you were to do a consumer proposal, that would stop any wage garnishments
2: so so just focusing there for a second mark so you've been sued on your debts you go in, and see a credit counselor there's there's nothing that credit counselor
0: can do in regards to those debts that you've been sued on is, is that right yeah they 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 don't have any leverage in in terms of in, in in terms of stopping the lawsuit or stopping the wage
2: garnishment so Mark, what would you estimate it, it costs people if they're going through a credit counseling plan? Um, you know, to eliminate a dollar of debt, you know, considering these fees and you know, we don't know other debts that may or may not be included, but in general, what would be your estimate of something going through someone going through a credit counseling plan, how much should they be expecting to, to repay on their debts?
0: Well, I'm gonna say somewhere between in order to eliminate one dollar of your existing debt, like today if you were to sign up for credit counseling there is uh, you're going to be paying 100% of what of what your current outstanding interest and and principal is you're also going to be paying fees to the credit counseling agency which can add another 15% plus your you may have uh, interest that is not going to be forgiven on on debts included in the credit counseling plan and then you're going to have some of your debts which may not be included in your credit counseling plan. So I estimate that it could be anywhere between a cost, any, a consumer, anywhere between $1.15 and $1.30 to eliminate $1 of your existing debt. And wow. that, that is the worst debt relief option that is available to Canadians. It is the most expensive debt relief option.
2: Well and, and that's a bold statement, but I, I think your math your math backs it up. So if you know, if you're someone who can't afford to pay your debts, you know, paying off them in full plus fifteen to thirty cents extra on the dollar, you know, how can that be your best option? And you're you're saying, Mark, it's not your best option, it's actually your worst option in many cases.
0: Well yeah, I mean, there's there's very there's there's I would say probably only you know less than five percent of people who are signing up for credit counseling are, probably should be doing it, and ninety five percent of people who have signed up for credit counseling, you know, they they are not being well served. They would have had better options in terms of eliminating their debt.
2: Mm -hmm. Now, Mark, I know we're going to hold you over for a second segment here. We want to talk about, you know, the other alternatives to credit counseling and how they compare. Uh, But I was just curious from a regulation point of view, and I know we hadn't planned to talk about this, but I I thought Ontario a few years ago, they changed some regulations around credit counselors that, you know, essentially made them similar uh, to collection agents. Are you able to speak to that? You know, does that make sense, the way Ontario regulates credit counselors these days to make them akin to a collection agent?
0: Well, I mean, you can go on the Ontario government's website, and it will list all of the firms that are have to be registered as a collection agency in the province. Mm-hmm. And any firm that is a credit counseling agency must be registered as a collection agency in Ontario. So you've got um, Credit Canada Debt Solutions... has got 18 collection agency licenses in the province of Ontario because they have 18 separate physical locations. And Credit Canada Debt Solutions is one of the three largest credit counseling uh, agencies in Canada.
1: I'm just going to step in here, guys, and uh, wrap up the segment. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking with Mark Silverthorne, nationally recognized expert on the Canadian collection industry. Uh, his, uh, the, the videos, uh, the one specific video we've been talking about is Credit Counseling for Suckers, is available on YouTube site, so nice and easy to find. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Mark, for joining us today.
0: Thank you very much.
1: We're continuing our interview with Mark Silverthorne. He's a nationally recognized expert on the Canadian collection industry, Uh, spent many years as a collection lawyer, uh, and then saw the light and is dedicated the rest of his uh, working life to helping Canadians who are struggling with debt. Uh, The mantra for the company now, his new firm, online consulting firm, is empowering Canadians struggling with debt. Uh, And I just want to mention the website if if you want to jot this down. It's debtcoachsilverthorn.ca and it's chock-a-block full of great articles as well as access to the YouTube videos of which we talked about in our first segment and we'll touch on again in this second segment. So welcome, Mark. Uh, welcome back to our second segment on the show. flair
2: It's great. It, it's great to be here.
1: Great. Thank you.
2: Excellent. And Mark, yeah, so thank you. So in our first segment, I, I was really happy. We went through, we discussed about credit counseling, discussed, you know, how you believe it's the most expensive way for a Canadian to eliminate debt. And it seems to be so, especially, I think, with the calculation of, you know, you're going to pay everything back plus 15 to 30% premium on top of that. Um, that's one of the more expensive ways for someone who can't even afford to pay back their debt to say they're going to be looking at, you know, even more than their balance is owing, isn't it? It's not too encouraging, I think, for someone in that situation. So I thought for our second segment. Today, Mark, can we talk a little bit about how credit counseling compares to the alternatives? Because on dollars and cents, we're all about helping people understand, you know, here's the lay of the land, here's all the things you could potentially do, and then people can pick the best option that fits their circumstances. But what would you say are the different ways people can get out of debt, and how do they compare and contrast with doing a credit counseling plan?
0: Well, one of the things that that what happens is that when a creditor assigns an account to a collection agency, in some circumstances, they freeze the interest rate. So no interest is accruing. So in those circumstances, the consumer would be better off making monthly payments directly to the creditor or the creditor's collection agent. In contrast, if they were to do credit counseling, they would be paying a a fee as much as 15% on top of the the debt that they are repaying to the to the creditor. And I think that that's so unknown,
2: Mark, that, that, you know, once you're put into collections, you know, it's probably not the best day that you're having, but it might actually be a positive thing and that you might be going from a very high interest rate to with some collectors, again, to your point, they're not charging interest. So if someone just had a single debt, if the collector's not charging interest, they're going to be better off dealing with that directly with the collector rather than going through a credit counselor where there just be fees tacked on top of it. That makes sense, right? Correct. Okay. And so other than that, so the, the uh, accounts in, in collections, but maybe there's no interest being charged, what other alternatives? If you got a debt, you're having trouble paying it.
0: Well, if, if you have not made a payment in six months on your account, then most creditors, they might consider accepting or negotiating a one-time lump sum payment for significantly less than the current outstanding balance of the settlement in full. And uh, you know, I I've, mean, I've, when I was a consumer lawyer, I negotiated settlements as low as 15 cents on the dollar. Uh, so, it, you know, that's certainly an option for people, particularly if they just have one or two debts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, some of the other options would be doing a consumer proposal uh, or seeing in, in for, for individuals who do not have high incomes and do not have significant assets, in certain circumstances, it would be advantageous for a person to, do, uh, to file for personal bankruptcy. Mm. There's also the situation where if they, on an on a unsecured consumer debt, If a limitation, if a provincial limitation period is expired, a person may be in a situation where they can avoid paying a penny to a creditor. And
2: Mark, can you give just a, a quick overview to our listeners of what that limitation period means? You know, we talk about it occasionally on the show. Here is two years in B.C. is the statute of limitations. But for someone who maybe isn't familiar with that, what does that mean if a debt is statute barred or is beyond the two-year period or whatever terminology people would use?
0: Well, essentially what it means is that if you're, it makes it difficult for, for, your, for your creditor to collect the money if they haven't sued you within that two-year period. Because if they were to sue you after the two-year period, then what you could do is file a defense and plead the expiry of British Columbia's two-year limitation period as a full and complete defense, and you should be successful. Now, mm-hmm. if you were to be sued and you didn't file a defense, your creditor could get a default judgment against you. So uh, you know, just because the two years go by doesn't mean that the debt goes poof. It, it gives you a defense that you can raise in a lawsuit. Right, and so that that's really important. If someone's,
2: you know, in legal proceedings are being commenced against them, they better respond to them because even if they would have an open and shut case, it's, you know, this debt is, is too old, I can't be sued or I can't be forced to pay it unless they're there to make that defense. You know, it's just obviously not going to fly. And that's actually, that's dovetailing into another topic I really wanted to talk to you about today, Mark, is another great video I saw in your on your channels so we've been talking about is credit counseling for suckers uh you had another video which was what is the likelihood my creditors will sue me and i get asked that question a lot uh, at sands and associates here uh, i'm curious your, your take on it so you know first off what does it mean to be sued for a debt and what are the scenarios where you might get sued if you owe somebody money and can't
0: pay well in when when a person is sued it's it's when when the creditor uh, you know, prepares a a legal document commencing a lawsuit, they file it with the court, and then, then you're served with it, and then you have so much time to file a defense, and if you don't file a timely defense, then your creditor will get a default judgment against you. Now, if you file a defense, then at some point there's going to be a trial, and your creditor will either be successful or not, and at any time during this process, you can tried to negotiate a settlement with your creditor. And how often does
2: that happen that someone owes some debt and they actually would get would get pursued with a with a legal legal remedy like, you know, like pursuing a judgment against them?
0: Okay, well, I'll just sort of canvas some of the the highlights. Your creditor is going to be reluctant to sue you if the limitation period has expired. Mm-hmm creditors are reluctant or or creditors will not sue people for small amounts so that if you're if you owe two or three thousand dollars to your creditor the chances are they're not the creditor is not going to sue you now creditors are much more likely to sue you if you own real property and the reason why is because all they have to do is get a judgment against you and put a lien on your property and they've essentially got a GIC in your property and they'll get their money plus interest when you either refinance the property or you sell it. Now, the rest of what I'm going to talk about is, is, um, is in connection with people who don't own real property. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you've got a great job your creditor will be tempted to sue you because they would sue you, get a judgment against you, and then do a wage garnishment. And if you've got a great job, you're not going to quit your job. But let's say you've got a low-paying job and a wage garnishment notice gets sent to your employer. Well, what people will typically do in that situation is they'll quit your job, and that ends the garnishment. Mm -hmm. so creditors are reluctant to sue people who have a job um, that's not a particularly high-paying job and creditors will also be reluctant to sue people where the where the consumer is paying child support under a court order or if they've been sued by other creditors or if they owe significant money to other creditors or if they're unemployed or if they're on social assistance or if they're Support themselves on a pension,
2: so so I, I get a lot of panic calls of people saying, "Oh my gosh, I've been threatened with legal action." And I tell people, "Well, they're going to threaten ten thousand out of ten thousand people that owe money, but the actual people that get sued, to your point, Mark, it's the folks that have real estate who have very stable employment, where you know a garnishment order would actually return some money. Uh, those would be the hallmarks of people that might have legal action taken against them. Other folks, much less
0: likely. Yeah, and i I'll, I'll, I'll give you sort of some insights, I mean, I worked for, for, for three or four of the largest collection agencies in Canada over a 12-year period, and I sent out hundreds of thousands of letters threatening to sue people, and I doubt if we sued one out of 100,000 accounts. Wow. So, I mean, if you get a letter from a collection agency or a lawyer Uh, representing a collection agency, threatening to sue you. uh, I mean, chances are, like, the lawyer hasn't even read the file. I mean, it's just a form letter that goes out. So, you know, collection agencies are in the business of hounding people, and they're trying to get the low-hanging fruit, and it's just the, the economics of things. If creditors were to sue everybody who owed them money, They would lose money on their bad debt portfolio, and they're in the business of squeezing out, you know, maximizing their profit on their bad debt portfolio. So they cherry pick the files that they want to sue, but they'll threaten to sue everybody. Hey Mark, we're down to just our, our last couple
2: minutes here, but I really want the listeners to have a chance to know how they can reach you and, and what your new focus is with Debt Coach Silverthorne. So would you be able to give a sense of, you know, what you're, what you're doing with Debt Coach Silverthorne, obviously how people can find these great videos and what type of assistance you might be able to provide?
0: Okay, so our website is uh, debtcoachsilverthorne.ca and our firm's mantra is empowering Canadians struggling with debt and if you go on our website, we've got all kinds of articles that would be of assistance to people uh, you know, struggling with debt. And we've also got, um, you can see all the videos that we've got up on the Debt Coach Silverthorne YouTube channel, including our most recent one is credit counseling for suckers. And I also offer um, uh, one-on-one telephone consultations for people who, who think that they need a, a one-on-one telephone consultation. Great. Well, thank you very
2: much, Mark. Uh, Elaine, I think we're, we're coming up on our time. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll wrap it up. Again, uh, I would like to thank you as well Mark for for being part of the show today. Uh again, I'll just go over their website. It's debtcoachsilverthorn.ca, chock-a-block full of uh great articles as well as the YouTube videos that Mark was talking about. Uh give you some real insight and and the fact that the uh the company's mantra is empowering Canadians struggling with debt is uh maybe just up your alley. This segment is all about bankruptcy and the basics. And I got to say, before I started working with you, Blair, doing the show, um, I didn't understand bankruptcy at all. And it was such a loaded word. And I'm pretty sure that I'm not alone in that even today, that people, there's misunderstandings about it, don't understand how it works. And there's so much um, shame and uncertainty that comes along with that word.
2: That's absolutely true, know, It's Stigma, for sure. There's a huge negative stigma about, you know, bankruptcy or people who file for bankruptcy. You know, even myself, you know, I went to business school, thought I was pretty financially literate, even worked at one of the largest accounting firms in the country. And I had no idea how bankruptcy works. So it's quite possible that people can be very financially sophisticated, even be accountants, be lawyers, be financial advisors, and really not have a good sense of what this legal remedy exists for, how it works, and how it can be life-changing for someone who needs the help.
1: Excellent. Well, let's talk about it. Let's uh, talk about uh, how, how, well, first of all, how many people file for personal bankruptcy in this country?
2: Yeah, it's it, probably more than you think, is, is one way I would say it. So in 2019, it was about 4.6 4. out of every thousand adult Canadians filed either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. And what that translates to across the country is just under 140,000 individual consumers. And that was a split of about 40% who filed for bankruptcy, about 60% who filed consumer proposal. And 2019, again, pre-pandemic, that was actually the highest insolvency rate since 2011. So it was a number um, that was growing each year. More and more people were finding themselves overextended uh, and needing the help to restructure their debt.
1: Okay. And let's, let's throw in talking about consumer proposals just as a, as a bit of a, you know, a counterpoint to a bankruptcy.
2: Yeah, so just for someone who doesn't know, we're going to focus mostly on bankruptcies today, but uh, consumer proposals are the alternative to bankruptcy, again, chosen about 60% of the time, even more so than a bankruptcy, and it's where you consolidate all of your debts into a single payment, you pay no interest, and you pay back what you can afford, usually in the range of 20 to 40% of the total debt. So incredibly powerful option, and if you're a listener to this show, you'll know we talk about it quite a bit.
1: Okay, so I know that not everybody... Uh, contacts a license insolvency trustee if they're considering a bankruptcy but of course you guys are the are, are licensed insolvency trustee only people that can facil- facilitate a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal uh today
2: that's right, Elaine. So, you know, you don't need to pay any upfront fees. You don't need to hire a lawyer, an attorney, a consultant, anything like that. You just sit down with a, a licensed insolvency trustee, and our job is to give you access to the insolvency system. So access to these laws that were written with the idea of the honest but unfortunate person, you know, has the right to start over, to start again, uh, unburdened by debt. So, you know, in simple terms, what bankruptcy means is it allows you to eliminate your debts to move forward, owing nobody anything, and it achieves a financial fresh start.
1: So can we talk about the impact that the pandemic had on the urgency for people who had Big Dad and were thinking about taking some action? How did, did it impact them?
2: Well, it impacted them in the opposite way I would have thought. So when the pandemic hit and, you know, everyone is locked down, we thought bankruptcies proposals are going to go through the roof. Uh, what happened is there's been almost a 30% decrease in the number of people filing for insolvency uh, in 2020 compared to 2019 over the same period. So reasons for that, um, you know, it makes sense. The government replaced a whole lot of income when income was lost. Uh, Courts were closed for periods of time, so a lot of pressure was taken off of individuals. Uh, And then creditors did a lot of payment deferrals as well, so they didn't want to push people too hard, knowing that they probably would file an insolvency proceeding during the pandemic. So my impression here as professionals, the can's been kicked down the road, so a lot of these debt problems didn't get resolved, they just got delayed, and we anticipate insolvency rates to increase significantly well beyond what they were before the pandemic, you know, once people start to have a bit of a runway and we're getting out of this.
1: Right. And I know that you're, you've mentioned before too, that this, this is just, this may be just the beginning where lots of people are, are looking at, okay, I don't get this and this and this right now. I'm going to have to take some action on this. I, I could have, I delayed it for a while, but I can't do that any longer.
2: Yeah, just about everybody, when we serve them, only 5% of people end up reaching out for help right away. 95% of people, they languish, they suffer for up to two years. So I think we're in that that period right now where a lot of people are suffering under their debt, suffering under the pandemic, uh, and they're going to be benefited when they do reach out to get some help.
1: And I can't blame them, you know, so much uncertainty today in terms of how we're doing, what's in store for us. I mean, as a, as a province, as a community, as a country, I mean, it, it really is a crazy time for folks.
2: Oh, it's absolutely right. Yeah, I've never, We've never lived through anything like this and hopefully never will again.
1: Exactly. Um, I just want to throw in here, too, if something that we've said already is kind of resonating with you and you want to take some action, I'm going to give you the number for Sands & Associates. It's 1-800-661-3030 or check out their website, sands-trustee.com. So what does it actually mean to declare bankruptcy today? Yeah,
2: well, most bankruptcies in Canada, they're considered voluntary, which I've actually never seen somebody who didn't want to go into a bankruptcy being forced that way. Theoretically, it's possible. But in just about every case I've ever seen, or every case I've ever seen, just about every case that's out there, uh, people voluntarily, they sit down with a trustee, and they just decide, you know what, I'm not able to pay these debts off. I can't do a consumer proposal, or I pay off a reduced balance with no interest. So I need the help um, to restructure myself to go through this proceeding and emerge on the other side, owing nobody anything. And starting again, unburdened by debt, uh, the eligibility to go into a bankruptcy is pretty straightforward. You need to owe more than thousand dollars, so it's a pretty low bar. And the upper level is unlimited. So sometimes we see people with millions of dollars of debt. You know, maybe there's been uh, you know significant business failure or an ICBC claim that was denied. But for the vast majority of people, it's in and around the twenty-five to fifty thousand dollar range of debt. Um, in terms of types of debt, you know, it's what you would expect: it's credit card debt. It's payday loans, overdrafts, student loans, income tax debt, all of those can be 100% forgiven if you go through a personal bankruptcy proceeding.
1: The other piece I just want to throw in, too, is is that it's a private thing. Everybody's afraid that everybody will know, but actually that's Mm. not the case at all.
2: Absolutely right, Elaine. So it's a very, very small percentage of bankruptcies where there has to be a newspaper notice, you know, less than 1%, just a few a year that I work on. The vast majority of cases, there's no newspaper notice. The only people that are notified are the people that you owe money to so that they'll back off from their collections. And most people think it's going to take seven years to get through the proceeding. Over 80% of bankruptcies are done inside of nine months. And yes, that's right. Inside of nine months, people can go from being hopelessly burdened with their debt to back to owing nobody anything, and they can rebuild their credit from there.
1: Can we skip ahead a little bit in this segment? Um, I'd like mm-hmm. to cover the the common concerns that folks have when they're exploring the option of personal bankruptcy. Maybe somebody's listening for just that information.
2: Yeah, that's great, Elaine. Let's go through it. I think one of the, the main ones people wonder, especially if they're a married couple, is one spouse filing bankruptcy. Does that mean the other spouse is put into bankruptcy or has to do something? And the answer is no. There's no connection between spouses financially, even if they're married, common law or whatever. One spouse is able to deal with their financial issues, file a bankruptcy and have no impact on the other spouse whatsoever.
1: And, and you can change jobs if that's, an oper- if that's something that comes up during this too, which I thought was interesting.
2: That's right. In most cases, your employer isn't even going to know that you've made this filing. Um, if you go to a new employer, you don't have to tell them, hey, I'm in a bankruptcy or just got out of one. So there's no downside. There's no cap on the money you can earn uh, when you're in a bankruptcy. You can go and earn the income and often you're better at your job because you're way less stressed about the debt problems that you're having.
1: And what if you're in a situation that you might want to get out of town and go somewhere else? Because we know lots of people are on the move these days. Uh, how does that is that it?
2: Yeah. You know, some people ask me, okay, well, when do I have to surrender my passport? I'm like, well, never. You know, there's no check at the border. Are you bankrupt or not? You know, you can travel, you can move, you can do whatever. Um, Sometimes people choose, you know, during this bankruptcy, I want to go and do something I've wanted to do for years, but couldn't because I had debts. You know, they go and teach English overseas um, or go and do a research project. You know, you're able to do whatever you want to do as long as obviously you can support your costs. But bankruptcy doesn't impact your mobility whatsoever.
1: And the last thing I want to make sure that we mention is that it doesn't stop you from getting new credit. That sounds a bit scary, but it actually doesn't stop you from doing that.
2: No, and in many cases, that's what holds people back because they think they're going to be permanently marked. They'll never get credit again, uh, but you can rebuild your credit as soon as you're through the bankruptcy, so after usually the nine-month process, and it's common within two to three years that someone has a much better credit rating than what they had when they began the process. So it's not a life sentence, far from it. You will recover, you'll rebuild probably quicker than you think.
1: You want more information? Go to the website, sands-trustee.com, or better yet, give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. Set up that first consultation, see where you sit on this big spectrum, and take some action. Uh, We're going to continue talking about this consumer debt study uh, that Sands & Associates does every year. And this year, of course, being 2020, uh, a little bit different in terms of, you know, all those uh, numbers uh, also include impacts and effects from the pandemic. And uh, let's first talk about the study in general. If somebody happened not to hear the first segment that we talked about it, what can you tell us a bit about the study in general, Blair? Blair?
2: Yeah, so every year uh, at Sands & Associates, we do a study of our past clients. So we, we survey um, you know each year somewhere somewhere in the range of fifteen hundred to two thousand past clients We get really detailed responses from them about you know their circumstances, what caused them to seek debt help, uh, what were the impacts they were feeling, and how is life after they've resolved their indebtedness. And it's the only study of its kind that focuses just on BC residents and focuses just on individuals who've taken positive steps to deal with their debts by filing either a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy. So it's really insightful for anybody who they might be struggling with debt, um, you know, hear the profile of those who took some action to deal with it and see how much it resonates with what they're facing right now.
1: And in this segment, we're going to talk about not necessarily the, the nuts and bolts of it, but the uh, the impact that it has on someone's overall well-being. And I know you guys were able to gather some keynotes as a result.
2: Yeah, and that's what's so interesting in, in my job as, as a trustee is, you know, yeah, the numbers change with each individual, but if the overall Personal story. It's the family. It's the issues that someone is going through, and just knowing how overwhelming a debt problem can feel, and just how positive people can feel once it's once it's resolved. So it's not the case, you know, you just cleanse off the debt and that's that. There can be just a transformative effect, someone from a very tough situation dealing with the debt to what they can do once they've resolved their debt. But it also makes the point that being in debt is just no fun. It really impacts a lot aspect, a lot of aspects of a person's life.
1: Well, let's talk about some of those, Blair.
2: Yeah, you know, in terms of how you know you have a debt problem, uh, it's not necessarily just an arithmetic calculation. You look at the payments you're making, you look at how long you're going to be in debt. For the vast majority of people, so more than three in five people in the survey, they said the way they knew they were in debt, in in, in a debt problem, was overwhelming stress. And that stress can cause a range of effects. Uh, It can be anger, irritability, Uh, It can be feelings of helplessness or hopelessness. Uh, It can even drive certain arguments with a spouse or a partner about money. And for 80% of people, um, they said their debt stress actually led to anxiety or depression, uh, which can have, you know, physical manifestations as well as as mental manifestations. So, um, you know, things like uh, heart palpitations, trouble sleeping, um, even one in six individuals who eventually sought help for their debt, so that they experienced thoughts of suicide and, you know, uh, uh, those those are people in very fragile situations, and I've had those discussions with individuals saying, um, you know, this is not such a problem that doesn't have a solution. You just need to look for the solution, but it can just seem so dark uh, and so hopeless at the point. If you, if you're saying, you know, I owe this much money, I'm never going to be able to pay it off. You know, what do I do?
1: I would think it. It's, you mentioned it in terms of uh, stress on the relationships with your spouse, but I would think that that could overflow into all all areas of your life as well.
2: Yeah, for, for 70% of people, they said their relationships with their family and others were negatively impacted by being in debt. So it's, you no know, the whole idea, you're not yourself uh, when you're so far in debt and your mind is just always thinking about an obligation that you can't meet. Uh, for 16% of people, they said their job performance actually suffered. And you know, how counterproductive is that? You can't even be your best at your job, which would help you pay off the debt because the stress is really dragging you down. And for about 40% of people, the debt stop them from moving forward with the milestones that they wanted to achieve in their life, whether it's starting a family or purchasing a home. Uh, A number of folks just said, you know, I just feel so hopeless about the future. I can't even contemplate these milestones, let alone start to take steps uh, to make them real.
1: And I want to add here, you know, if any of this, what we're talking about at this moment is ringing a bell for you, uh, that part of this discussion sounds like your thoughts or something that you've been thinking about, this is a great place to start, is give Sands & Associates a call. It's 1-800-661-3030. And sort of meet that debt issue or concern or problem head on. Again, it's 1-800-661-3030. Um what about the issues that were top of mind for people when they're trying to deal with this debt?
2: Yeah, we asked people, you know, what are you worried about? What are your worries when it comes to debt? And no surprise, for 75% of people, um, they were worried about paying off their debt, which obviously they got some debt help and they were able to deal with that. Uh, For 65% of people, they were most worried about being able to meet their basic costs of living. Um, So it gets harder and harder in the province of BC, you know, to make ends meet, especially if you're on a fixed income like a retiree um, or perhaps someone on social assistance, for example, it can get very difficult. Uh, for over half of people, um, they were just so worried because their debt balances seemed to just be the same every month. You know, they'd make all the minimum payments, and they were starting to figure out, you know, of this $200 minimum payment, $190 it went to interest, $10 went to the principal, which I barely noticed, and gee, they're asking me for the same amount of money next month. Um, For about a third of people, they were very concerned about being able to fund their retirement. So looking to the future and saying, you know, I'm struggling to to pay the debt that I have, let alone save anything for retirement. Or they weren't aware, if they had to to restructure their debt, they'd be able to keep all of their retirement funds anyway, whether it was a pension or an RRSP. So sometimes just giving people the right information and their worries can get a lot worse, even if they don't need to restructure, sorry, can get a lot better, um, even if they don't need to necessarily restructure their debt.
1: Okay, let's talk about that. Once people that you talked to or in, from the study got that professional help or support to deal with the debt, uh, the problem debt, how did that shift people? What, what were the things that they came, came away with?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of meeting the living costs, so it's you know not the case you eliminate the debt and suddenly everyone's able to afford their living costs. I wish it was so, but it was a significant decline. So whereas two-thirds of people were really worried about meeting their living costs when they were dealing with their debt, uh, once people had resolved their indebtedness, that went down to about 37% of people were concerned about living costs. So, you know, just about half of what it was before. Um, Once people had restructured their debt, you know, their attention started to shift to more financial goals. So for nearly half of people, they could start to consider, well, how am I going to fund my retirement? And for 30 percent of people, they were able to think about, well, how can I take that next milestone? Maybe I want to buy a house. Let's start saving for the down payment. And it's a good proportion. I wish it was higher. But 20 percent of people said, you know what, I'm no longer worried about money. So in some cases, it was the retiree who knew they could get by on their pension, but couldn't get by on their pension and all the debt payments. We resolved the debt payments and they're saying, yeah, I can live with what I bring in each month. So that was a good 20 percent of folks said they just really didn't worry about money anymore.
1: And you've got some more uh, some wonderful examples that people actually started feeling uh, even more positive about their situation.
2: Yeah, I think the one that I really like was the idea of being a resource for others, of you know letting your light shine to be a beacon of hope for others. Uh, nearly half of people said they were now more open to discussing finances with others, whether it's friends or family, um, and 40% said they gained really good financial skills and knowledge to share with others. So the idea they could help someone who's suffering, someone close to them who maybe just felt so ashamed, they reach out for help and suddenly they can be that resource that gives them shelter in the storm.
1: And, in, and finishing off this segment, And I know that you've got some findings when it came to uh, warning signs for people.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, just in the few seconds that we have left here, Lane, the one thing that I really want to highlight is what this study showed, and a really negative thing, is for 95% of people, they didn't seek help right away. Only 5% of people, when they knew they had a debt problem, they reached out, they sat down with the trustee, they figured out what they could do to move forward. The vast majority of people, they suffered, they suffered in silence. You know, maybe they cashed in some RRSPs or sold some assets they didn't have to sell. But at the end of the day, only 5% of people really minimized their suffering by reaching out for help right away so if someone's listening if that can just spur them to say make the call sooner than what you think if you're feeling stressed that's the number one indicator that just have a conversation with a trustee it's not going to cost you anything and you're going to figure out if it's going to be something that can help you have a better tomorrow.
1: I think that's such a, such a great idea too, Blair, because it's almost like getting another perspective about your situation. It may be serious that you need to take action, or it just may need a, a bit of massaging or a few changes to be made, and, and you're going to be okay. But the key is to reach out and ask those questions and get some help. The phone number that Blair talked about, 1-800-661-3030. Go to the website at sands-trustee.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time.